I'm Leah Mice, and you're listening to Bridging the Gap. This is the podcast where we talk to blind and visually impaired music creators and producers to better understand their workflows surrounding technology. This podcast is for everyone, whether you're part of the visually impaired and blind community, or you're simply curious about how visually impaired and blind music producers are using technology. This podcast is also available with closed captions on YouTube. Today's theme is about the Bridging the Gap project. So we have all of the people working on the project with us here today. We have Alex Lucas, Andrew McPherson, James Cunningham, Jacob Harrison, Mary Alice Stack, and Francesca Schroeder. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Leah. Thanks for taking the time to, uh, to chat with us all today. There's quite a few of us here. <laughs> thanks, Alex. First question is for you. I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the Bridging the Gap project. So this is a three-year research project, which is funded by the um, Arts and Humanities Research Council. And it's a partnership as well between Queen's University in Belfast, the Sonic Arts Research Centre, and then the Centre for Digital Music at, at Queen Mary, and Creative United as well, which is a um, third sector organisation that looks at supporting creative industries. People looking to develop businesses in, in, in that particular field. Our focus really, I guess, is to understand the experiences of blind and visually impaired music makers and sound creatives understand their experiences with music software, how they're using it, what works well, what some of the challenges are. And, and then based on that, we're looking to offer something that might improve uh, workflows. So yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Fantastic. So why don't we just go around the panel and everybody could answer what their background is and how they're involved in the Bridging the Gap project. So Jacob, I'll start with you. Yeah, my background is in accessible musical instrument design and research. I did my PhD at Queen Mary University of London with uh, Andrew McPherson in the Augmented Instruments Lab. And um, yeah, happy to still be working at Queen Mary now as a, as a postdoc on the Bridging the Gap project, continuing the theme of accessibility in music technology. And yeah, my, my role is essentially Alex's counterpart in London, leading on some of the uh, research projects that we're doing. So you mentioned Andrew, uh, that you're working with Andrew McPherson. So Andrew, what's your role in this project? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Andrew McPherson. I'm a professor in the Centre for Digital Music here. I am involved in the project. I lead the Augmented Instruments Lab, which is a team looking at new musical instruments and uh, new ways of interacting with technology. And so I, I'm quite interested in both uh, the sort of human factors of uh, what makes uh, an instrument really work for people, and then also some of the design questions, both uh, hardware and software, around how we can make more accessible technologies. So really happy to be involved. Continuing on, Mary Alice Stack, would you mind introducing yourself? Yes. Hi, um, I'm Mary Alice and I'm the Chief Executive at Creative United. We're industry partner for the Bridging the Gap uh, research project. And the business that I run is a social enterprise, which was uh, established about 10 years ago. Um, we're publicly funded. We receive core funding from Arts Council England. And one of our flagship programs is called the Take It Away Scheme, which um, we've been running for many years and is designed to reduce the barriers to buying musical instruments. And uh, a few years ago, we began considering what additional barriers uh, people might face to becoming involved in learning and playing music, where perhaps it wasn't the financial barrier, which is the main area of our work is around financial inclusion. If it was the instrument itself that was the barrier, 
So my interest in this project and our role as industry partner is really to look at the application of the knowledge and insights that come through the research, the application of that knowledge in the real world. So what does this mean for disabled musicians of all kinds? Visual impairment is one particular area, and I became uh, familiar with, with Jacob and the work that he's done and various other researchers when we ran a hackathon project a couple of years ago that was sort of looking at a range of different design and innovation challenges. So this is a continuation of the work that we were funded to do by Arts Council around the Accessible Instruments Hackathon. And we're really delighted to be partnering with with Queen's on this really uh, important research project. Speaking of Queen's, Alex Lucas, would you be the next person to introduce yourself? Thanks, Leah. So I'm Alex Lucas and uh, I've got a background in product design. So I I was previously a product designer for Novation um, and a couple of Notable products that I was involved in were the uh, the Peak Analog Synthesizer, Polyphonic Synthesizer, and and the Circuit Mono Station. But about five years ago, I, I came back to academia and sort of researched a PhD in accessible musical instruments, so similar fields to to Jacob. And over the past year, I've been working as a um, postdoctoral research assistant on on the Bridge in the Gap project. James Cunningham, thanks for joining us today. Hi, yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm a visually impaired musician from Belfast. Um, I work primarily in composition, both acoustic and electroacoustic and improvisation. Um, I am doing my PhD at Queen's University at the moment, um, as well as working alongside Alex and Jacob um, on the Bridging the Gap project. Um, and I'm, I'm really re- researching things that are sort of parallel to the Bridging the Gap project, looking at DAWs um, and music technology more widely and how that relates to my own artistic practice, as well as you know, visually impaired and blind sound creatives more generally. Great. And Francesca, we'd love to hear about your background as well. I'm Francesca Schroeder. I'm a professor of music and cultures at Queen's University. I'm the principal investigator of Bridging the Gap along with Queen Mary University. And so we are kind of leading on it. But um, what what I would like to talk about is um, the wider performance without barriers research group. So my background is as a saxophonist and um, not really identifying as disabled and I never really, I guess, had to think about access and access barriers in my own uh, career as a musician. And in 2015, I founded um, a research group at Queen's University at the Sonic Arts Research Center, um, which is a center for digital technology. So we have this privilege of having access to all these digital technologies. And so um, Performance Without Barriers really started as a research partnership between the university but drake music uh, project northern ireland um, a charity that works with disabled musicians and together we're really keen to explore the role of technology in potentially addressing access barriers that many musicians and specifically disabled musicians encounter and what's interesting in our way of working is that we really look at participatory design so co-designing really working with the musicians rather than working for or on behalf of the musicians and music from my own background of course but also music and music improvisation as a kind of a tool for expression and for really possibly giving a voice to people who might feel marginalized by society so this is the overall aim of performance without barriers and then bridging the gap is a specific project that we're talking about now in this podcast and that involves all these amazing people that you see on the calls. And of course, we're delighted to be working with industry. That's me. 
Great. So what have you all been up to over the past year? Jacob, perhaps you'd like to kick this off? Yeah, so I guess um, the major undertaking we've, we've been doing for the past year has been to kind of start off by talking to visually impaired music producers and other sound related creatives that use technology. Formally, we've been doing that by speaking to around 20 visually impaired music producers in the form of semi-structured interviews where we've asked our interview participants to explain to us their musical backgrounds, their workflow, the kinds of softwares that they currently use, maybe a bit about any barriers that they've come across, things that work particularly well for them and things like that. As well as that, we've been doing what's called a contextual inquiry, which essentially uh, involves sort of looking over the shoulder of one of these participants as they work within their digital audio workstation of choice. I say looking over the shoulder, this is metaphorically speaking, as we've been doing all of this over Zoom. Um, so we've been asking people to sort of screen share as they work on a track and kind of explain their thinking as, as they go, which gives us a real insight into their workflows and any potential sticking points that are tricky to get around in the software, as well as um, sort of techniques and sort of hacks that people have come up with to get around um, those sticking points. So that's been a really fascinating process. And as well as this, we've also been conducting studies involving what's called concept maps, which is a technique very similar to brainstorming, where we ask our participants to complete the sentence, um, what is a door and what does it offer me? And through their answer, we connect uh, various concepts. So somebody might answer a door is a piece of software, a piece of software would be one concept. And then through linking back to another concept, we end up with some very interesting, very messy and uh, very intricate maps that draw in the sort of technical side of how people work as well as well what we found is that we talk a lot about the, the technical side of of people's workflows but we usually end up talking about social aspects people's backgrounds the role of community and peers and all sorts of other I guess you categorize them as non-technical concepts that also play a role in uh, in access to music production so that's the that's the major sort of study that we've been undertaking. I was just going to ask James if he wouldn't mind telling us what are the tools that visually impaired and blind creatives are typically using for music software access? Well, so I suppose uh, what we've really discovered um, or we think we have discovered is that, you know, technology for blind sound creatives is an ecosystem. So normally at the centre we have, you know, a, a digital audio workstation, you know, like Ableton or Pro Tools. Um, maybe not Ableton, Pro Tools or Logic or Reaper. There are sort of several options that, that we can sort of use to improve our experience in the software. One big thing that has come out is, is this sort of uh, NKS standard, something developed by Native Instruments and it's built into their controllers, which allows us to access virtual instruments and all of their parameters accessibly, um, rather than having to try and engage with a graphical user, user interface. Something else that we use uh, quite frequently is uh, optical character recognition, where the software scans the screen and then provides us with whatever text is available. And this can be really useful if our uh, screen reader isn't able to access the interface. Um, screen readers are uh, text-to-speech engines that we control with the keyboard. They allow us to navigate and read information on the screen and interact with the screen as well. So clicking on links, um, adjusting sliders, 
uh, things like this. And all of these tools sort of, and, and others as well integrate into this one system that we balance um, and use to create our music and work with sound in the AWS. So you mentioned that typically people are not using Ableton. I was wondering, is that because of accessibility? And I'm wondering if you've identified any gaps between the available tools and the requirements for visually impaired and blind creatives? Um, so at the moment, Ableton uh, is not accessible for screen readers. Um, when you open Ableton software with a screen reader, all the screen reader can tell you is that there is a window open. I think a lot of people in the community are hopeful that that might change um, soon. You, you can find this with, with lots of software. I think Cubase is another example. And in this instance, um, the software is pretty much unusable. That That is something that needs to be built into development, often using Juice. Uh, so that the uh, the screen reader can access it at a fundamental level. In terms of gaps with the available tools, th there is a problem, I think, at the moment with reading uh, information that changes state quite frequently. So things like peak meters or things like uh, spectrograms in EQs, these are very hard to represent using text-to-speech. Um, and that is something where AI or haptics um, which we might talk about in a second, those might come into play to sort of fill that gap. Wow. Yeah, I'm really curious about how these haptics might come into play, actually. Haptics is uh, a technology which has been researched before in this particular field. Um, so there's the, the the haptic wave, for instance, which is a um, physical interface which represents a graphical waveform. And in many ways, it seems like the obvious choice, I guess, you know, in, in terms of alternative ways of conveying information to somebody who is using a DAW without sight. So it's been on our radar since the beginning of the of the project. And I think it's certainly something that we're, we're, we're looking to investigate um, over the next two years. So, so I should mention that the next stage of the project really is to develop some kind of additional technology, which might help to improve or remove some of those access barriers that, that are being described by, by the participants. In relation to that, what's particularly important for us, I think, uh, James, James mentioned the ecosystem, is that we really want to integrate with that ecosystem. So we don't want to scrap everything and reinvent the wheel. We want to sort of recognize that many of the participants have, have some very effective workflows that are, are working very well for them, but maybe there might be some ways in which we could improve or enhance aspects of that. So, so yes, yeah. So we're we're looking uh, at haptics and integration. And Jacob is a little bit more on on the technical side. So I don't know, Jacob, if you wanted to to add anything about perhaps some of the technologies you've been considering using in your prototypes. Yeah. So I guess the attraction of haptic technology in this area is its ability to offer a additional channel of information or, or an additional modality is it's the sort of more academic word for for that um for how to perceive and interact with not only the the sound that's being that's being worked with but also uh, feedback from from the software itself so in the case of the haptic wave this was a, a device that would allow a user to scrub through a, a waveform using an actuated mechanical slider like you might see on a mixing desk with uh, with sort of moving faders and as you scrub through the through the waveform you receive some sort of haptic feedback i think in the form of um, resistance of the fader as you scrub through this waveform you get a physical sense of where peaks in the in the waveform are which was shown to be a really effective way of cutting and editing waveforms without sight and this is something that, you know, as, as 
cited music producers uh, is is a very sort of quick and simple process. You can you can glance at the shape of a waveform and immediately see where certain peaks are, and you can make your editing points there. But for visually impaired producers, there's no way of getting a, a quick scanning overview of the shape of a waveform. So this is one example of of how haptics can sort of present audio information in a modality which is potentially more accessible. So we haven't got to the point of building any prototypes yet, but there are certain things that we're thinking about that might involve haptics. There are other things that we've come across that um, actually other people have used. For example, one person we spoke to uh, used a modified peak meter, which gave, I think it was braille-like output in response to the sort of volume of different audio tracks. Um, so that provides a kind of tactile way of, of monitoring the sort of separate volumes of, of different tracks, which again, is something that's pretty straightforward for a sighted person, but for a visually impaired person, it's very difficult to have that sort of ability to get a, a quick overview of, of what's going on on your mixing desk. The, the potential for haptics to provide that kind of immediate information about the uh, the audio that's currently being worked with. Other things that we might consider are um, how we can fit haptics into sort of the actual sort of navigation of a complex piece of software like a door and how haptics might provide additional feedback to help people know where they are within a door, what current function is currently being used uh, or feedback on the on the value of certain parameters for example an eq shelf being raised or lowered rather than have a, a screen reader sort of read out huge strings of numbers telling you what exactly where the current um, parameter is it might be more immediate and more effective to have that represented through some kind of tactile or haptic means so we're exploring different areas where haptics can fit in comfortably like like Alex said within an existing ecosystem those are the things that we're going to be looking at once we get onto the sort of prototyping stage so so far we've been talking a lot about the technology of music making and I'm wondering whether the study participants had any comments about whether the music industry itself is accessible for visually impaired and blind creatives? I guess this is one of our assumptions when we first started um, the project that there was a difference, I suppose, in terms of the tools which were available between sort of sighted and non-sighted users of, of DAWs. And and we 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 have we have this belief really that you know if there's equal and undifferentiated access to technology, then that that will lead to equal employment opportunities. The participants that we spoke to, we were very fortunate they came from across the globe. So we had some people from the States, uh, from Europe, from Poland, but also South Africa and Singapore. So it was quite a broad spread and a range of levels of uh, employment, really, I guess. So, so we had some people who are more on the hobbyist side of things. And then we also had professional audio engineers, composers, for instance. So with those professional roles, it seemed to be very much that these people were, were self-employed. And I'm not sure, I, I wonder if that's a general trend within within these sort of fields anyway, that, you know, people are typically self-employed and it's more of a gig economy as, as it were. What we found, I think, uh, particularly with some of the people who are, who are starting out and, and learning these tools, learning, learning DAWs, that there was some concern that the tools that they were using in their own accessible workflows wouldn't be available in, in the professional environment. So what's quite apparent is that the, the workflow of blind and visually impaired people with a DAW is different to the sighted workflow. And there are different tools in, in use. So for somebody who is without sight to, to turn up at a studio and, and expects all of these tools 
to be installed, it's it's there was a concern that these tools wouldn't wouldn't be available in in, in that environment. The, the other sort of concern that, that some people seem to to express was that there's a, a certain amount of stigma attached to, to to blindness and the capabilities of blind and visually impaired people working within this particular domain. And I think we can all agree that the people that we spoke to, I mean, it was um, we saw some fantastic talent we really did without sort of knowing whether someone was cited or not not cited i mean the end product the, the creative output um, of this work there is no difference to to my ears essentially one thing going back to the ecosystem again i'm, I'm obsessed with the ecosystem <laughs> um i i think um th- these ecosystems can be so intricately connected i know in my own personal use i use logic and pro tools and the difference even between using those two different programs is immense. You know, with Pro Tools, I use a custom script developed in Berkeley by a guy called G Kim called Flow Tools, which is really useful. Uh, but, you know, it's completely it's open source third party, you know, and in Logic, uh, we use I use an extended key map called Logic Ninja. So already I have two completely separate tools for two completely separate software packages. And if you're a visually impaired or blind sign creative, and you're used to using, let's say, Reaper, and then a studio employs you to come in and do some work, and you arrive, and they have Pro Tools installed on their machines. It's so much more difficult, I think, for a blind producer to integrate themselves into that environment smoothly, because not only is the layout and everything going to be completely different, it's a different tool set, but the accessibility tools required to access that are going to be you know, potentially unfamiliar, um and you uh to that person and i think the potential of that i think is discouraging and, and stress inducing and, and it's it's another i suppose maybe more of a social barrier for people I think can i all. just chime in because i think yeah. it's an interesting discussion around leah what you were asking about who is the music industry or what is the music industry and as alex was uh, suggesting that we've seen a lot of music producers or music creatives having very personalized studios and that may also have to do with the impact of COVID because originally we were going to work with uh, production studios, music production studios, physical studios in Belfast and we had partners on board but it became very clear that people are working very well and very personalized and almost like in a sort of tinkering kind of fashion we saw some people who just made do with stuff that they had at home and whether um, they made it more tactile, they made it a bit more, you know, something that they could feel, a knob that they knew how to turn, even if it wasn't a visual uh, interaction. So the sort of improvisatory approach to people working in their own homes. And maybe that's, um, I don't know if Mary Alice has a view about the sort of music industry, but, you know, maybe the music industry has either due to COVID or due to visually impairment been moved or is moving into people's homes it's interesting isn't it obviously creative united works across all art forms and uh, music making and audio production is is one part of a very complex sector where doing it your way rather than a standard way is is absolutely kind of part of being a creative is is the sort of uniqueness of one's own individual approach and um 
it doesn't surprise me at all to hear that the the people who were part of the interviews um, had kind of come up with their own personal uh, approaches and hacks using um, a mix of the technology and the physical equipment to kind of create a way that worked for them. And that, of course, is one of the also one of the factors when we're thinking about disability more broadly is that when you look at physical disability as opposed to visual impairment, everyone's physical impairment disability uh, um, needs are unique and different. So what we're trying to understand is that the industry has a responsibility and a role in providing kit, providing the tools to enable people to then modify and make their own way in order to make their own creative content. What we're trying to get at through this project, in from my point of view, is to increase the accessibility standards that, that the manufacturing industry adopt for everyone because everyone has accessibility needs. Um, some of them might be linked to impairment, but others are just, I prefer it to do this, to do it this way. I mean, I'm I'm left-handed. It's astonishing how much of design is based on a right-handed approach. And you know, I've kind of got a frozen shoulder through probably through kind of using standard kit in a slightly uh, unconventional way. And 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 those adjustments i think as an industry if they can be more tuned into the fact that not everyone engages in the same way and the adaptations to the physical kit and the technology that are enabling for visually impaired people can also work brilliantly for other people for other reasons and that that kit will necessarily end up in use in an idiosyncratic way combined with other tools combined with different approaches to to music production making and sharing so i think it's part and parcel of the creative industries but if the industry itself understands what a kind of minimum accessibility standard should look like for all that that is the ultimate outcome that we're aiming for i might just add to that sort of in contrast you know marielle you just talked about the kit involved right one thing that I was struck by and was very encouraged by in the interviews was this sort of plethora of positive stories about blind producers recording other artists who are sighted or blind visually impaired performers performing on stage in environments with other sighted performers. And a lot a lot of these stories were very positive. You know, there was you know, they talked about good communication, they talked about acceptance, right? I know I know some people, you know, often encounter stigma in those kinds of situations, but I was really encouraged by how much people spoke about how they didn't encounter that stigma as well. And I think that's also reflected in some of the, you know, manufacturers and software developers that we're seeing making commitments. So, you know, people like Avid, Native Instruments, Focusrite are all making steps, you know, publicly and substantially towards accessibility. You know, you talked to their, Mary Alice about finding a sort of a minimum accessibility standard that people all understand. And I, I really think that we're achieving that, you know, that, that that's something that's moving forward. And then once we get to there, then we need to look ahead to, you know, how things can change further. Well, but this is really exciting work. Thanks so much, James, for summing that up. I think that's a fantastic place to leave this. So I just wanted to make sure that people listening along know how to keep in touch with the Bridging the Gap project. So where can people find more information and stay in touch with all of your work? So the best place, Leah, probably is the Performance Without Barriers website. So that's um, performancewithoutbarriers.com forward slash bridging hyphen the hyphen gap. There will also be a contact form on that website as well. So feel free to get in touch if you have any questions or would like to provide any feedback or your own insight. It's, uh, yeah, we'd be very happy to, to, to hear from listeners. 
Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. Thanks, Leah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Yeah.